Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Nucleus Investment Insights. Today's episode is titled, Is It the End for Value Investing? Value investing has had a really bad decade. Over the last 10 years, the MSCI World Value Index has done 50% worse than the MSCI World Index. A decade is a long time to wait for things to get better in the investment world. Coincidentally, Charlie Munger, who was Warren Buffett's partner at Berkshire Hathaway, sadly passed this week. That duo are the most famous value investors of all time, and we'll discuss their approach in the podcast and their 20-year underperformance. Is value investing doing something wrong? Our answer is yes, and we'll explain why in the podcast. Just a reminder, the information in this podcast is general advice only, and is not intended to be specific to your personal financial situation. If you do want to discuss your personal financial situation and how to improve that, you can book a call with me or one of the advice team at nucleuswealth.com forward slash contact. Today, as always, we have Nucleus Wealth's Chief Investment Officer and Co-Founder, Damien Klassen. Welcome back. Hey, Sam. My name's Sam Kerr. I'm the Head of Advice at Nucleus Wealth. The themes discussed in this podcast are a reflection of our thinking, which we implement across all our active portfolios. You can find out more about our offering in the description notes below. As, as many of you know, this show is recorded live every Thursday at 12.30 Australian Eastern Time. So jump onto the Nucleus Wealth YouTube channel and you can ask any questions that come to mind and we'll do our best to answer them during the show. Podcast is also available on all other major podcast platforms, so feel free to tune in there if you prefer. Until the end of the year, we are still offering a free no-obligation super review. We'll give you a super health checkup. Uh, we'll check your check the fees, make sure you're not paying too much in fees, uh, make sure you're invested appropriately, and then also make sure you're aware of any tax-saving opportunities on offer. So you can book in uh, at nucleuswealth.com forward slash contact for that as well. So those are the formalities out of the way. Damo, over to you to get the ball rolling. Yeah, so um, uh, value investing today. So, um, you know, we just want to do a, a quick shout out, uh, I guess, for Vale for Charlie Munger, who's sort of uh, Warren Buffett's partner, um, died during the week and, and very much thought of as as, as one of the key uh, value investing um uh, pioneers and, and titans, I guess, of the, the value investing sector. So I really just want to talk about um, this whole idea of value and um, what I would term superficial value versus sort of real value and talk about what the issues are and and um, uh, it, it's had a really bad performance um, as, as a factor. And, and I just want to sort of dig into to, to what's sort of driving that and, and how a lot of the bad performance has been about the superficial value um, really doing poorly, but um, I sort of need to work my way through into sort of what is the value, what's gone wrong, um, what the measurement errors are, and then and then how do you fix that, and and what what should you be looking for in terms of um, in terms of value. So I'll start with the um, how bad it's been, and and we're we're coming up to ten years worth of bad performance now for um, for value. Now value is a strategy which in the past has been. Um, uh, has delivered intermittent returns 
And so what I mean by that is a lot of the other strategies, quantitative strategies you try and um, invest in where you're looking at, um, so whether it's growth at a reasonable price, or you're looking at high quality stocks or momentum stocks or, or all these other factors, have got relatively consistent returns. Yeah, you'll have a bad year here and there, but you don't tend to go through sort of long droughts um, before you get to the, um, you know, the the feast. So you don't go through the famines of the feasts and, and, and stuff like that. Whereas value investing um, traditionally has been very much like that is that you um, you have a lot of uh, years or, or several years of, of underperformance, and then you have these cracking years where you make it all back. And so um, uh, the, the issue is we're now up to a decade of underperformance for value. And while there's sort of this, you know, this whole, you know, trust me, it's all going to come good. It's it's, it's a good strategy. Um, you know, the, the, over the last decade, I've got a chart here just sort of showing the uh, the gross returns in US dollars for, for the MSCI world versus the MSCI value. And if you go back a decade, they both sort of started at 200. The the MSCI world is up at 420. So it's sort of more than doubled. And um, the MSCI world is at 325. So it's up about 50%. So so you've, you've underperformed by about 50% by investing in value over a decade. And, and that's, um, that's stretching your friendship. If you know what I mean, like there's, you have to start questioning um, per- pervasive underperformance in that way. Is you know, um, is there something wrong with value itself? Are you measuring it wrong? Um, you know, all these other factors sort of come into play, and we'll 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 talk about that as, as we go. So the first, uh, I just wanted to um, take a really big picture look at at, at quantitative factors first. Um, just a, a very very quick one. It won't be a, be a short diversion, I promise. Um, but there's basically uh, a bunch of different factors you can you can try and say I want to buy these types of stocks and they give you a certain type of performance. Now the five sort of main ones that people try and get are um, momentum, which is I'm, I'm buying stocks that are going up and I'm selling stocks that are going down. Um, low volatility, so basically I'm buying stocks that that where the share price doesn't is, is not particularly volatile and um, and so they they tend to be lower risk stocks, and they actually do tend to give you better performance over over the long term as well. Um, then I'm looking for growth stocks, so stocks that are um, that are growing strongly. Uh, I'm looking for quality stocks, so stocks that have um, big margins uh, are making good returns on equity and, and things like that. And then finally, I've got this this idea of um, buying cheaper stocks. And so each of these factors can sort of be broken up, and you find particular stocks that sort of do one or the other. And and some of them are exclusionary; like it's hard to find ones that you know fit fit everything. Um, but the, the the thing I really wanted to highlight is that of those five factors, value is very different in that it it is making an assumption about mean reversion. So all these other factors are basically you're making an assumption about not mean reverting. So so I'm saying. If I buy a high quality stock, so a stock that's got high margins and is earning a good returns on equity, every you know, it invests money and it gets a good return on that investment. Um, I'm I'm basically making a bet that that's going to keep going. So that's the situation right now, and I'm going to bet that that company, because it's high quality today, will continue to be high quality going forward. Or if it start the quality starts to fade, you know, I'll have an, I can I can have a look at it and I can I can switch that out. Same with growth, buying a growth stock because it's growing today and I think it's going to keep growing tomorrow. Um, momentum, low volatility, same same type of thing. Value is different. Value, what he's saying is, I'm buying a stock because it's cheap, and I think it's not going to be as cheap in the future. And so um, there is a different it's a it's a different assumption, and that's partly what comes back to those returns I was talking about earlier. In that, value stocks tend to give you a couple of years of, of poor performance, and then, well, in 
in, in, in history, if I exclude the last 10 years, value stocks have tended to give you you know, poor performance in most years and then just had some cracking years where you get all these great returns back from um, from investing in value stocks. And it's something like the tech wreck. Um, so that yeah, we had this massive boom where all these tech stocks went went ballistic and and if you're investing in value, you, you underperformed the market as it rose. And then at the other side of it, you had this fantastic value uh, trade where you made all this money from from, from the value. Um, and, th- and that's sort of the that's the pitch you get when you when you go to um, uh, to, to invest in, in value. Um, I've got this sort of analogy I use. It's, it's like a religion. Like value is is treated like religion, and partly because of this. So because um, of because of the, the nature of it. So um, yeah, if if you look back at sort of you know, how how religions come about, and you know, there's some. Uh, people sort of put forward this theory that you know if you're a farmer of a seasonal crop, so so you're a farmer somewhere in in, in Europe of wheat or, or or whatever it is, back in uh, you know hundreds of years ago, um, you can put a lot of work in to 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 doing your 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 field, and um, you're but but the, the issue is you're very dependent upon the weather. You might get like a five or a ten percent better yield than the guy next door to you that doesn't put all the work in, but actually if it's a if it's a great weather uh, year then you're going to do well, you're going to do really well, and the guy next to you is going to do pretty well as well, even though they didn't put a lot of work in. The flip side is in when it goes in, in the bad years, you've put all this work in and you still you still perform, um, you know, you, your farm still gives you um, a really bad performance because of the weather. And so you know, the argument is, well, that's why we ended up with a lot of these religions because it was the idea that, you know, I just need to keep preaching to people that, you know, trust in trust in God and trust in doing hard work and and, and everything will come good. And you're sort of praying to this higher power that's going to deliver um, uh, the the the, um, the performance of your crops. And value investing has got a little bit the same in terms of you go through these, because you go through multiple years of poor performance, um, you need that, that reassurance from the people who are doing this that, hey, value investing is working. It's great. You know, you, you buy cheap stocks. They're always, you know, history says it's going to work. Just stick with me. Um, yeah, everything's going to be fine, and and you know it's that that belief part that that needs to keep coming, and um, and you get the profits as well. So you know you get the you know I'm the one true prophet of the words of Warren Buffett or or, or Ben Graham or whoever your your chosen god of, of value investing is, and, and I will interpret those for you and and buy my newsletter for a thousand dollars a month, and and you know and, and you make all this money from it, and. Um, and because of the nature of it, it's also quite hard to judge value funds. Because let's say I'm looking for for a good value fund, um, because I, I, you know, I've got a few different funds. A few, I'm trying to invest in my portfolio, and I'm saying, oh, I want a few quality ones, and I'll, I'll get some small caps to chase that. And I want to have a value fund that so that if everything else goes badly, this this value fund will outperform. It's hard to judge the performance of them because um, you're basically saying I'm buying this fund because the one year in three or the one year in five where um, everything else is going to go the other way, and my value stocks are going to outperform. That I'm going to rely on this fund to 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 get me the returns. Is that you don't have any very many data points because you're basically relying on I've got to, I've got to wait for that one year and five to actually judge whether these guys guys did it right. And and sometimes those value funds, as they go through their dark periods, they'll 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 start a bit of style drift. They'll be like, well, yeah, we invest in cheap stocks, and then after three or four years of cheap stocks not doing particularly well. Um, They've started to drift into oh well maybe we'll 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 buy a few stocks that are you know we can we can squeeze into a cheap definition but maybe they don't actually fit it and so that a year that actually comes good you know if, if your fund manager's value fund manager is one of those guys that's, that's sort of had some style drift maybe they actually miss out on that good year because they've 
they've let they've let themselves drift over the over that time frame. So yeah, so so value funds themselves, um, you know, are, are a religious uh, experience. It's, it's sort of similar in that perspective. Um, the other thing I want to note is that it's been a really wild ride for value funds. Um, so I've got a, a chart up showing now. This is S and P. Um, this is S and P five hundred. Uh, I'll talk through it for anyone who's listening into the podcast and and, and not seeing it on screen because it, it is a little bit confusing on the screen as well. Um, I've got all these different style factors, which are saying, well, if I if I basically bought the um, the, the the top quintile of this, so the top twenty percent, and I and I went short the longest the the, the worst twenty percent, what would the difference in returns be over this last decade? And so um, the idea is, yeah, so I'm buying so so in the value sector, I'm saying I'm going to buy all the cheaper stocks. And I'm going to sell all the all the most expensive stocks. What what would the difference in returns be? So um, it's it's been all over the place. So in 2015, you would have done minus 17 percent on this strategy, um, you know, versus price momentum, which did positive 23 percent. So you're sort of 40 percent below the the best strategy um, in, in that year. Uh, in the next year, you were sort of plus 11 percent, and some of these others were, were down a little bit. Um, uh, then then you sort of skip forward a few years you had another year where you were down eight percent and where where every other factor just about um was sort of up almost ten percent uh another year you're down 26 percent you had a fantastic 2022 you did plus 30 percent but then um so far you've given all that back a plus more in 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 2023 and so it's just been this um and, and actually you know that that year 2022 you know you're plus 30 percent on this value one but the volatility um uh, was minus thirty five percent. So you know, there's like a seventy percent swing in the difference between those two, um, those two factors. And so it's just been this ride for valuation, which has been it's been feast or famine. And so um, it might have been great that you had this fantastic twenty twenty two year, but if you didn't sell those stocks in twenty twenty two, you've given it all back um, in in this year. So um, yeah. Whereas whereas you look at some of the other factors uh, within that. They're a lot steadier in terms of the returns. You get the consi- more consistent returns, and over this ten-year period, say um, price momentum or, or analyst expectations, which is sort of one of the ones we we sort of track uh, quite a lot, um, would have done would have given you like a four percent outperformance if you if you're just buying stocks where analyst expectations are being uh, revised upwards, and um, whereas valuation you've, you've lost money by buying the cheapest stocks on on this um, in, in aggregate. And uh, Damo, just a quick question in regards to uh, like comparison to say the MSCI World Index. How, how have you know maybe price momentum and analyst expectations? How have they compared? Uh, yeah, they've they, they, they outperformed. So, so you get um, uh, the quality quality performances have been quality and growth has been good. I think depend well, you got to pick your pick your period, but but um, over the last ten years. Um, uh, both quality and growth have been much better performers than um, uh, than value. Yeah, I think the the volatility index. Um, uh, I was going to say I think in in aggregate has underperformed. Um, I just have to double check the last year's been like a cracking low volatility index um, year, and so maybe that's maybe that's up to even. But I think it still has underperformed at that time period. Okay, great. Um, if you jump to, I've got another split here where I'm looking at the last five years, um, and just doing a, 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 
a split by sector because sometimes what you when you look at these you're like well actually the sectors if I, if I had to just if I had to bought this within sectors I would have done all right it's actually the sector call that's 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 undone it but um that that hasn't been the case and um so so I've got a chart to sort of showing up that you know of the sort of 11 big gig sectors um uh, most of them were six six of them gave you some pretty negative performance one of them was sort of closer to zero and of the of the good ones, they're all relatively close to zero, except for maybe one, that the healthcare sector, and and also, it's it's a little bit inside baseball. But if I when I look through the um, when I look through the the way these these occur, like good qual- good quantitative factors tend to be relatively consistent. So you go well, if I had bought the best version of of this, um, I would have done um, whatever performance, whether it's negative or positive. And then the second best is like. Um, and then third best, it all comes in order. So, so like if I, yeah, if the worst was a one percent outperformance and the best was um, a one one percent underperformance, then a good quantitative factor should be sort of roughly in line when you when you look at those coming through. And whereas um, when you look at that for um, for a lot of these value factors, it's been a bit of a, a random um, scatter, which sort of saying, well, it's not not really a consistent um, uh, consistent measure. So that's sort of some of the problems i do have solutions but but let me go to you first sam and we'll come back we'll be back with the investment insights very shortly nucleus wealth is an active and passive investment manager if you like what you're hearing and want some help with the investing we can do it for you via our active portfolios our tactical and core portfolios use the insights shared in this podcast to construct and manage your investment we blend tactical portfolios to offer our combinations of international shares Australian shares, government bonds, and cash. We vary the asset allocation with the goal of protecting your capital in times of market uncertainty. We also have active international and Australian share portfolios. These are chosen using our quality and value investment philosophy. You can find out more at NucleusWealth.com. Now back to the show. Just one more quick thing. We just want to ask you for a simple favor. We want to spread the message about transparency innovation, and integrity in investing. At Nucleus Wealth, we live and breathe these values. We would love it if you can help us spread that message and subscribing to our channel will help us do that. We would be most grateful if you can hit the like and subscribe button now. Right, so I think a lot of the um, a lot of the issues I have with value um, is, is the way it's constructed. And I think that's a lot of that comes back to, to why we've seen some of this underperformance. And I'll, I'll also prove that in, in, in some of these coming charts. But I sort of have to detour a little bit to sort of I'll let you know um, how the value, the, mo- the most used value indexes get get constructed. Now, the most used ones are from MSCI, um, and they have this. Uh, I've, I've got a chart up, sort of showing the how they put it together. But they have basically these two axes which they look at companies on. One is a growth axis where they say, okay, is this a is this company growing strongly or, or not? And the other one's a value axis, which is, is this company cheap or not? And, and I guess what they're trying to say within this is companies sort of fit into one of these uh, one of these different categories in that this is a company which is not cheap and it's growing. And so therefore it's it's thought of as a growth, co- growth company. Um, so uh, here's another company uh, or there's companies that are, are cheap and, and are not growing. And so therefore they're, they're treated as a value stock. And then you've got the, the the two sort of other quadrants where it's like, well, it might be a bit value and a bit a bit um, growth, and and we'll try and assess a certain amount of it to be to be that. But but the idea is that 
effectively what you're doing is is they're splitting the market up and saying, here's a growth part of the market, here's a value part of the market, and then here's the other part, which sort of doesn't really fit to, to eat. And and what they're doing then is saying, okay, well, if we take that value part of the market and put those stocks into an index, how do they actually perform? Now, in as a concept, um, that's, you know, it's, 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 um, I don't have a major problem with the concept. It, it, a lot of it's in the the execution of how you're actually how they're actually doing it. So, what they rely on in terms of how they put it together is is a lot on book value. So, uh, it's the the accounting value of how much the assets are worth, the net the net assets of the company, and I'll, I'll talk about the problems we have with that. Um, they don't have any cash flow measures in in there. Uh, there's been a lot of changes in accounting standards. Uh, they don't do a lot on forward earnings. The forward earnings numbers they do look at, uh, I'm a little bit suspect about. Um, they do some weird growth calculations, and they've got this um, some quite, um, I would call it concerning statistical um, issues in terms of how they put it together. So I'll, I'll, I'll run that through in 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 a bit of detail. But so so on the um, so basically on the value side, what they're trying to do is they're trying to say. Um, is it is this book cheap on a price to try price to book value? So so what what do the accountants say this thing's worth, and, and how does that look versus the mark versus, versus the market value? And this was a big measure that um, Ben Graham um, spoke about and and sort of documented in the maybe nineteen fifties, I feel like nineteen fifties or sixties. Um, and uh, there's there's a lot of research around this book value about how it's a uh, you know it's it's posit- it gives you a positive return over over long periods of time. Uh, the issue I have is that accounting standards have changed and book value from the 1950s is not the same as book value from the um, anything into the 20, uh, to, in, into the 2000s. So um, 15, 20 years ago, there was a, some pretty significant changes in terms of the way we account for book value. And that has meant that um, uh, it's not consistent. And so what, yeah, if you had a, yeah, no, I'll explain what's the, the, the what the change is. Is that when you acquire a company, when one company acquires another company, so so company A acquires company B, and say they spend five billion dollars acquiring company B, and company B is worth, um, uh, so it's got a book value of three billion dollars. So that the accounting transactions are basically five billion dollars out the door. We've got three billion dollars of assets that we can we can account for. And we've got $2 billion of this asset that we can't account for, which is um, the goodwill of, of, of this other asset. And so that that goodwill comes onto my that comes into my balance sheet as um, you know, $5 billion out, $3 billion of net assets in, and, and $2 billion of this goodwill to make the whole thing balance. And and what used to happen was that goodwill could be written up or written down by the uh, by the management. So the management might say, um, uh, actually, you know, three or four years later, you go into a massive downturn, and they're, and they're like, "Oh, this this company we bought for five billion, that division's re- performing really badly. Um, we're going to write the, and, and we've got two billion dollars worth of goodwill. We're going to write that down, and so it's no longer worth two billion dollars. It's worth, you know, five hundred billion. Um, and then, though, if it bounced back the next year or the year after, the the board could turn around and go, well, "Actually, that was probably a mistake. Um, we will put it back to the the two billion dollars." Uh, whereas nowadays, that's not the case. Nowadays. You basically, once it's written down, that's it. You, you, you've written it down, and you're done. So you have a you have one a, a bad year, and you decide to write down those those assets, and then they all recover. There's no writing them back up again, and so there's this there's this um, bias towards assets being written down and never being um, never bouncing back. 
Uh, and what that means is that the uh, the book values we're looking at uh, are not the same book values that you would have got for for, for the other companies. And um, uh, the other part, the other issues, we've, we've been through a lot of changes in terms of the way, just the way companies structure themselves. So a, a lot more outsourcing, uh, a lot more um, uh, services companies, and, and all these means the book value is, is not as important as it used to be. And the outsourcing side, you know, as an example, if you took a company like a Boeing, um, 20, 30 years ago, maybe even longer, they had um, they did most of the most of the manufacturing themselves. And so they did have these quite big factories and, and a lot of book value because they would have to buy a factory and then um, that factory would sort of depreciate over time and, and they'd be producing whatever parts for it. Whereas over time, they, they'd started outsourcing more and more of it, doing a lot more of the design work themselves and a lot less of the actual manufacturing. And so what that's meant is um, for a lot of listed companies, uh, and then, sorry, and that manufacturing often gets done by by smaller companies, which are which are uh, yeah, pri- more private or or, or or less likely to be li- uh, listed. And so, what that's meant is Boeing's balance sheet. They've, they've now got less net net assets because most of their their assets are now their their intellectual property about the you know plane designs and and getting engineers that can design new planes and, and that type of thing. And so, um, yeah, so this book value has 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 been a and that's been one of the factors that's been a, a real poor performance. Um, the MSCI indexes don't have any cash flow measures. Now, for, for us, cash flow is our most important measure. Um, you know, actually checking what is genuinely coming in. For companies that can always spin a good story about uh, what what you should ignore, what you should include, include and, and all these things, and, and write-ups and write-downs and, and, and all these things like that. But but cash is, it's much harder to lie with cash. It's not possible, but but much harder to lie with cash than what it is to, the, the, to with profits. Uh, MSCI don't have any cash flow measures on 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 their on their um, on their value, and I don't think that and or on the growth. Um, they rely on uh, when you start looking at um, partly why they why they uh, assign some companies as growth companies and not as value companies. What, I've got a lot of problems about how they do that as well. They they rely on some some analyst numbers, and again, a little bit it's a little bit inside baseball, but they rely on some analyst numbers that. Um, uh, this long-term growth figure that, that gets uploaded into um, into systems. Now, my experience of analysts is analysts don't give a stuff about this long-term growth figure. That's it's a um, it's a nobody ever looks at it except for some of the um, some of the quant funds and, and and people like that. But the people they're dealing with day to day are more worried about what's next quarter's earnings going to be, what's next year's earnings going to be, maybe maybe two or three years out. Um, there's not a lot of um, uh, not a lot of people. T- Take it, uh, care about the, what the analysts are doing for that number, and so so the analysts upload that number because they've been asked to. It's in a template, but they don't actually um, they don't actually focus too much on that. And that's one of the key figures that goes into whether a uh, stock is a growth stock or not. Uh, the MSCI then run regressions over prior growth numbers for um, for stocks, um, and uh, if and when they do, they use uh, five period regressions. So. Anyone who's done any sort of statistical analysis, if you're running a statistic over over five samples, so five individual data points, um, you'll know you're going to get some pretty wild swings around, and and you know one one funny data point can easily send you you know the wrong way on, on that type of thing. So there's some there's some serious problems I have about the way they put the, the, the these indexes together for that, and then say that okay these must be value stocks. Uh, so what that and what that tends to mean is you do tend to get um, a, a concentration of um, uh, of 
energy stocks and a concentration of of uh, banking stocks in 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 these uh, in the in the value the official value portfolios. So what do, what do we do differently? How should you do it? Well, cash flow is the big one. Um, you should be looking at cash flow. That's very important on both growth and on on um, on on valuation. Um, looking more at earnings and sort of and and trying to delve into to, to what's happening on the earnings side. Um, this this whole idea of deep value and, and book value we we rate as a very low factor in our models, and we do try and get a bit deeper inside the numbers in terms of trying actually to um, uh, to get back to more the, the the factors that would have worked in the past. So so looking more at the the unwritten down values of some of these and 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 um, uh, what what we'll often look at is re- replacement value um, for some of these assets as opposed to, to as opposed to book value. Which we feel gives a better uh, a better indication for for some of these factors, and then you know what are shareholders actually genuinely getting out of this in terms of um, uh, I guess from from my perspective, you can look at some of the factors that that MSCI have put into their value uh, or sorry into their growth factor. You can get the wrong impression from um, from the growth. So so what we're saying, what I guess I'm saying by that is that if if I have a company that's grown its earnings per share by um, by by ten percent, um, but it's it's required some huge increase in the amount of debt that they've had to. They've gone from a, a lightly geared company to a, to a very heavily geared company. Then effectively, they've just gone out and bought a lot of that growth, and um, uh, and that's not a sustainable uh, way of growing the company. So yeah, you can do that a couple of times, but but at a certain point that runs out, and it actually increases the risk of the company a lot as well because now I've got this much bigger debt burden, and so you need to sort of. Um, factor off what companies are doing on the capital front. Uh, and so we're quite happy to have, if, if we look at two companies and they're both growing at the same rate, one of them's ripping com- capital out of the business and paying it all back to shareholders, and the other one's putting lots of capital into the business, then we'll rate those two companies very differently, even though they're, um, yeah, even though they might look look the same on terms of growth basis or, or, or a value basis. And so that's sort of, yeah, some of the, some of the thoughts. And if you dig into those same factors, and so I've got a, a, another chart showing up um, the breakdown over the last decade of um, of these same factors um, that, that I'll show. You. Sorry, the, the breakdown of the some of the individual components of, of that value index I was showing before, the one that was showing the wild changes between one year and the next, is if you look at the top one, which is uh, free cash flow to price, um, and, and this is a, an historical measure, but I think there's actually some some future stuff you can do and a mixture of some of the you know, future stuff that it, that actually gives you even better results. Is you can see the returns there have actually been pretty good, um, and, and when you've had bad years, you sort of like saying, okay, I I, I was down five percent rather than down thirty, and so um, you can see what I'm saying in that um, if you're using a value me- mechanism as as MSCI is that doesn't take into account um, free cash flow, then you've basically excluded the best performer for the last ten years, and you've relied on these other methods which have got um, what I think are some some, some relatively serious flaws in. It. Um, so yeah, so being more discerning about what you're using um, and is one is one way to sort of get around this. Um, we'll jump to another message and then I'll, I'll come back and I want to talk more about some other ways that you can, um, uh, that the, the value looks better. We'll be back again shortly. If you like what you're hearing but want a low-cost passive option, Nucleus Wealth is the first to offer passive direct indexing in Australia. The first generation of passive investing was index funds. The next gen was ETFs. Now, direct indexing is here with significantly more customization and control. The benefit of direct indexing is you can add or subtract investment themes, and we have almost 100 different options to choose from. 
For example, you could buy an international share direct index portfolio that excludes fossil fuels and arms manufacturers and has a tilt towards cybersecurity and cloud computing. Alternatively, you could buy a portfolio with no screens and an extra exposure to nuclear power and defense contractors. You can find out more at nucleuswealth.com. Now back to the show. So, Damien, we've had a comment come through from Wolfgang, um, and they're saying they think there's no actual method for value investing, uh, and they're saying they've had success just treating it as an invitation to learn and be creative with investing uh, analysis and ideas. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, do you do you have any any sort of thoughts and comments around that? Because it, it does work well sometimes, right? Absolutely, absolutely, and and. Um... I think there. I absolutely think it's it's a key part of what in in terms of how we invest. And I do think there's a um uh he's he's right in there that you know value investing itself um doesn't have this definition. MSCI who acts as sort of like the um the benchmark for value funds, they do have some quite strict definitions. And what I'm saying is, if you look at their definitions, um that's why value investing looks so poor because it's poorly defined in terms of the way MSCI is doing it. But the the whole idea that I should look for stocks that are cheaper than other stocks it is yeah for the same quality of stock or the same growth rate or something like that that I should I should be predisposed to buying the cheaper one absolutely completely on board with that and that's what I think I'm trying to get to in, in a lot of this presentation is how do you how do you look at value how you how do you look at um, value investing because you know that the overall concept is I would like to buy cheaper stuff rather than more expensive stuff is a should be a a a, a sort of I don't know, a building block of your entire investing. So it seems weird to say that that, that hasn't been working. Yeah, uh, excellent. And I guess that's a good segue into the next section as well. Yeah, that's right. So so I think, so I've got the two parts um, I have spoken about saying, look, valuation is a tool. It's not a religion. Don't treat this as, I just have to buy value stocks and and trust in in in, in the, the value gods to deliver me performance. Um, use it as a tool as part of other things. You need to make sure you, you're not falling into this mistake of, um, when accounting standards change, you're, you're actually updating. And there was another accounting change, oh, it must have been two or three years ago now, with some um, uh, with the way leases are being treated. And that has made some sort of, um, well, for, for some companies, it's made some sort of groundbreaking um, and, and seismic changes to their balance sheets, um, which you need to make sure that you, you're treating it the right way as well. But the, more, the most important point is that the value is a trade-off. You need to have another axis. So, so you're not buying something just because it's cheap. You're buying something because it's cheap relative to something else, some other axis. Now, we use quality, um, but just as likely you can use growth or, or, or some, something else, there's momentum or you know, pick, pick whatever it is. You need to have another axis. What, what do I mean by this? So let me use a quality example. If you're going to go out and buy a car, um, you're not going to buy the cheapest possible car. You're probably not. I'm, I'm guessing you're not going to buy the cheapest possible car. Because the cheapest possible car you can buy probably doesn't run. You can buy it, yep, but it's going to sit there in your garage and it's it's spare parts. You know, you can buy one for I don't know, whatever, hundred bucks, two hundred bucks. You know, it's worth the 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 scrap metal value of the car. So it's it's not a it's not going to give you something that, that works. And and so then you go, well, let's let me let me spend a bit more money though, not not heaps, but you know, I'll add another whatever five grand to to the price. Okay, now I've got a car that probably runs. And, and probably runs a fair bit of the time. It's probably not going to be that reliable or it's going to be old or it's going to have a lot of kilometers on it or, or whatever it is. But I, I have a car, okay? And, and I've spent a bit of mo- bit more money and, and I've got something, you know, uh, a bit better. 
Now I go again. I spend another five grand on that thing. Now, now I've got a, a bit something a bit later. It probably runs a bit better, a bit smoother. It's probably a bit nicer to drive and you know, more safety features or whatever it is. Um, I've, I've got I've probably stepped up a fair bit. I've got a fair bit of quality for 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 that increase in price. But there's decreasing returns as you keep going up and you go okay. So you get to say a, a BMW and so I own a, a BMW 3 Series and I'm like okay now I want to go to a BMW 7 Series. Now that's probably going to cost me 50 grand more. So I was talking about doing five grand increments at the start and making a big difference in quality. Look, the difference between a three series and a seven series in terms of getting me places, in terms of reliability, you know, all that type of stuff is, is not that much really. Um, you know, that yes, there's, there's an improvement on some certain things, but you know, they're pretty marginal and it's more about, it's more about wants rather than needs. And so that extra 50 grand I'm going to spend doesn't really provide me a lot of extra functionality in terms of the car. And then if I go to whatever it is, uh, some rare car, a Bugatti or a Ferrari, and I've spent another $500,000 on, on getting me some, you know, some, some supercar, again, the actual act of getting from one location to another location, um, it's probably going to be worse actually on those ones because I'm like, I'm not parking this thing on the street. You know, I need to, I need to get that away where nobody can touch it, no, you know, whatever it is, and, and servicing costs and, you know, whatever. I guess what I'm saying is there's, there's not a lot of extra um, well, the extra quality you're getting is very, very marginal for really big jumps in price. And so what I'm trying to get to is there's this trade-off between for everyone to say, well, where does it, where does that factor come in where it's like, okay, I'm getting a certain amount of quality um, for a price that I want to pay for it. And that's how you should be thinking about your stocks as well, is that, yeah, this might be a fantastic stock, but if it's priced at a, at, at, at a, a price that's just unbelievably expensive, then I'm not gonna. It's not gonna give me a good return over time, despite the fact the actual earnings of that stock and the and the the fundamental performance of that stock might be fantastic. But if I've overpaid so much for it, um, that I'm just not gonna get a, an economic return on it. And that's where for, for me is about trying to trade that quality versus value. If I can find really top quality stocks at an average price, bam, they're in the portfolio, and I want to hold those on until they get so expensive that I'm like, okay, that's too far. Then if I'm buying an average quality stock. Um, now it's about saying I've got an average quality stock that's really cheap, um, but if it, if it starts to get up in value, okay, it's straight back out the door. I don't I don't need to hold on to that that thing forever. So I bought it because it's bought it because it's cheap. Yeah, time to time to sell off. So so yes, so get another axis could be growth. Um, there's a lot of people who run sort of what's called growth at a reasonable price. Um, uh, um, I think quality is a good one. There's a lot of other axes you can use in terms of some of these other momentums and things like that. But um, yeah, get yourself another axis. Um, and, and value itself, keep remembering that value is, is a bet on that mean reversion. It's different to, to, to others. Um, there's a, there's a saying out there that there's no bad assets. There's only bad prices. And, and I do think that's right. Um, so, so what that's effectively saying is, um, you know, you, you pick a company, there, there is a right price and a wrong price for any company. Now there might be a company that's going to be a net liability to you, but maybe somebody's going to pay you to take that away. So yeah, there's a, Whatever you say, you have a mine that's going to have, you know, it's, it's a mine. It's about to close up, but it's going to cost, you know, a hundred million dollars in remediation costs. Is saying, well, if someone's going to pay me three hundred million dollars to, to 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 buy that mine, and then I have to spend a hundred million on 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 remediation costs, then maybe that's a maybe that's a good outcome. But if I'm going to buy that company for a dollar, that's probably a terrible outcome. I'm buying it for a dollar, and then I have to turn around and spend, you know, hundred million dollars shutting this thing down. So yeah, so the idea that there's no bad assets, only bad prices. Um, and, and this idea that super, super Fisher value is, is not the same as value. Um, I've got a chart up just sort of showing that 
you know, what we do in terms of that, that trade-off between quality and value. So we stick them on, on different axes. And, and basically I want to say that, you know, I'll let stocks, um, move up and down that axis depending upon, um, uh, that they often move based on the value. So, so I've got the, the value on the X axis. And so things will move back and forth based on the, on the value. And so if I buy, as I was speaking before, if I buy an, and sort of an average quality stock, that's really cheap. And then it becomes, um, just cheap. Then I'm like, okay, it's out the door. And I'll go find another average stock. Whereas if I find a really high quality stock that's average value, yeah, I can carry that until it's expensive and and maybe even it'll, you know, I'll add one really expensive to it. But but if it ends up being really, really expensive, now it's now it's time to start tipping that out because those those high quality stocks are the ones that tend to give you those, those consistent returns. Um and with that, I'll, I'll sort of I'll jump, you know, back to back to Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett in particular. So so people hold them out to be value investors and Ben Graham as well. They help people hold these, these guys out to be to value investors and they are to a certain extent, but they're just as much quality investors. And, and if you read any of the stuff they, they write, it is all about margin of safety. It is all about having an economic moat and, and these other factors, which are all about quality factors. So it's saying, um, you know, if you look at some of their biggest holdings over the long period of time, something like a Coca-Cola, there's long, long periods where you wouldn't describe Coca-Cola as a value stock. It's been a high quality stock that's got good returns on its on its um, on its assets and, and good returns on its reinvestment. And um, the Warren Buffett and, and Charlie Munger basically looked at it and said, "Okay, we we've managed to buy a, a really high quality stock at an average price. We'll take that deal, and we'll take that deal every time." And so, um, yeah, for them, it's 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 all about the, getting that trade off between quality. And that's that's yeah how we how we like to think of it as well. And I'll just sort of, um, you know, given given um, Charlie Munger has passed this week, I thought it's well worth sort of jumping in on some of his uh, some of his uh, uh, sayings about investing and and, uh, and learning in particular that, I, that I, you know I think um, you know, for me certainly ring true is that you know the world is full of foolish gamblers and they'll, they'll they won't do as so well as patient investors. Um, and, and I think the idea is that this happens on a short term shorter term. Um, uh, time scale, and, and, he, and he speaks about you know the character to sit all, sit with cash and do nothing, um, and he and he sort of didn't get to where he's uh, to to where he is by going after mediocre um, opportunities, and I think that comes back to that whole idea about um, people feel as if I'm sitting on this cash, it's burning a hole in my pocket, I've got to get out and invest it straight away, versus actually saying no, 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 let's just wait, be patient, wait for the right opportunities, and and then sort of move into those when when those opportunities come up. Um, he he talks about. Um, uh, one of the ones about the investment sectors, the investment management that, that I like, and particularly if you are going to be buying investment, you know, investment funds from people, um, you know, I think this is a, a, a good buyer beware. Um, you know, he, he speaks about the idiocy in, in investment management, and he, he best illustrates it by a story about the guy who sold fishing tackle. And um, so, so uh, Charlie Munger asks this guy, he says, "My God, you know, this fishing tackle that's they're purple and green. Do the fish really take these lures?" And the uh, the guy selling it says to him, "Mister, I don't sell to the fish," and that's um, you know I think the his his anachronism back to the investment management is um, yeah what what sells to investors may not be the same as what sells to um, uh, is what actually works, and I think there's there's a certain part of that, um, particularly about the value investing part, um, which which relates back to that is if you're just going pure value investing, um, particularly on some of the MSCI stuff, that you you might be running risks you don't understand. Uh, and the other thing Charlie was very big on is is learning. Um, you know, he spoke often about the people who you know, people who weren't the smartest or the, or not even the most diligent, but the people who actually were out learning every day, and they're the ones who actually 
uh, do well in the long run. And that, you know, as, as a great investor, you, you got to keep learning. Um, and they were very big on this, you know, he's, he was 99 and still doing investment. And Warren Buffett's, you know, in his 90s and still out doing lots of investing. And the whole idea that the world changes, you've got to change. And, um, uh, you know, not, not sort of getting stuck in your ways. So, yeah. So we'd like to sort of, you know, a bit of a shout out to, to, um, to Charlie Munger and certainly who provided a lot for value investing. But um, I think make sure you're learning the right lessons, I think, from, from, from what he was uh, talking about. And so we might go to the the uh, question of the week, and then I've got then I want to talk about when does value investing go well, and when doesn't it go well? When should you have it in? Excellent. So this is for viewers to have some discussion in the comment section over the coming days. The question for this week is: Will value investing make a comeback? So feel free to post your thoughts and engage with us and some of the other viewers over the coming days. And now back to you, Damo, for the investment implications. Mm. Yeah, so um, so so this is the big question is so you've got all these different factors you, you know I spoke about growth and momentum and and all these other things and, and one of these is value you know when do when do I want to buy own the cheapest stocks now I need to start by what the cheapest stocks tend to be is if if I'm buying the cheapest stocks they tend to be stocks that don't have a lot of market power they tend to be stocks that are, are relatively reliant upon um, uh, what's happening in in the broader macroeconomic um, uh, economy because they can't put their prices up at the same rate. So, so let me take car companies as a great example. Um, the the car companies are um, uh, a very low PE stocks. You know, you can buy most uh, most car companies for the single digit PEs. Um, you know, they might be like five or, or five ten times your earnings, whereas the market's closer to twenty times its earnings. And so, so these stocks are cheap, but they don't have a lot of market pricing power and when um uh when when your competitors you know a bunch of cheap cars come in from china you got to cut your prices because otherwise you're just not going to sell the same amount of cars and so um that's there's, there's a lot of other companies that sort of sit into that same bucket whether it's sort of chemical industries or or, or other um you know more commodity type goods and so there is a time in the cycle to buy these ones and there is a time when these things are going to outperform so generally it's when what we're seeing is is what I call a growth catch up. You're seeing quite strong growth. Um, you're seeing inflation rising um, because what it means is, and we've seen that over the last year or two, in that uh, when inflation's rising, all companies get to put their prices up. So everyone else is putting prices up. These guys can actually go, well, I can point to higher transport costs or higher fuel costs or whatever it is, and they can actually finally put through a, a price rise without it being without their customers just going jumping to their their competitor. And so. Um, it tends to be sort of at the start or the middle of an inventory cycle. So as, as inventories are, uh, are still building up and often it's with more fiscal expenditure. So governments are out spending more money. That's when you want to be buying these value stocks. Um, when do you want to sell them? Well, you want to sell them when growth is slowing. You want to sell them when inflation is moderating. So they managed to get these price rises through because everyone was doing it. Um, but now nobody's actually, now the, 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 you know, the extra supplies come on. So take the car industry. They've all managed to jack their prices because nobody could produce enough cars fast enough. Now there's big price wars going on in China. All these new factories are coming on, producing all these extra chips. They're they're starting to, um, you know, volumes are, are, are flying. They're starting to see inventories pick, um, building up at, at, at some of the places they're trying to sell. Uh, there's a, you've got to the other side of this and, and we're starting to see price falls because of that. Um, so, so growth slowing, inflation moderating, 
the end of that inventory cycle. So you see, you've seen inventories build up. Now they're going to have to just start declining. And that's probably where we are in some of these and less fiscal expenditure. So governments are, 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 are spending less or trying to pull back on, on their fiscal expenditure. And I think um, you can, for, for me, you can pretty much tick all those boxes. And so um, within the portfolios that we run, we try and move people back and forth between those, um, you know, within, our, sorry, within the stocks we're buying, sometimes we'll be predisposed to buying. We just want a portfolio full of high quality stocks that we can get for the best best price we can get for them. Uh, other times we might be saying, actually, no, we actually do want a lot of value stocks because they're at the right point of the cycle and they're the ones that are actually going to perform better than some of the quality stocks. Um, this is not that time. The time for us is now is to be filling up your portfolio with these higher quality stocks that can maintain their margins because um, we do think we're going to this period where these value stocks are going to get squeezed. And so, um, yeah, now is not the time to be to be loading up on, on value. Excellent. Thanks for that demo. And I just want to add as well, we do have a tilt towards value stocks. So across all the portfolios uh, that we offer, you can tilt towards uh, value, for example, we have some other quant factors. So there's quality, there's growth, there's also defensive stocks. And uh, uh, you can uh, utilize these across all the portfolios, like I mentioned. And uh, we also have some new tilts and screens available. Uh, so with a screen, we we can screen out any stocks that pay less than a 1% dividend. And with the tilts, uh, you can uh, add in uh, higher yielding stocks there as well. So um, some of the new innovations we've uh, come up with there. So feel free to check them out at nuclearswealth.com. Uh, so yeah, thanks for today, Damo. I'm sure, uh, you know, maybe maybe value is going to have its stay in the sun again. Um and we will continue to, to report on that. It absolutely will one day, yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, excellent. So, yeah, look look forward to the next episode when that happens. Um, who knows? No one knows. Um, so, yeah. Um, we do welcome your feedback on this podcast, especially in regards to suggestions for future topics. If you do have any ideas, please drop it in the comments section below or send us an email at contact at also, if you know of anyone that might get some value out of today's episode, we'd really appreciate it if you do share it with them. So from myself, Damien, and the rest of the team at Nucleus Wealth, thanks for watching, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.